This is the Venturing Angler Podcast. I'm Tim Harden. In this episode, we'll be chatting with Kristen Tripp of Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures about fly fishing in Cuba. Let's chat with Kristen. So we're here with Kristen Tripp of Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures talking about Cuba. Thank you, Kristen, for sitting down uh, to discuss Cuba. So uh, Cuba comes up a lot, um, especially among people with a passion for saltwater fly fishing. What makes Cuba so special? Well, you know, if you are interested or kicking around the idea of going to Cuba, you know, I have this conversation with people every day, which is, Cuba's not a great fit for everybody. You have to be ready to be a good traveler, go with the flow, enjoy the the odd things that are associated with a crumbling infrastructure, a communist country that really has had its head in the dark for the last 50 years, but is vibrant with music and great things to see and tremendous amount of history. Um, it's a fantastic destination, but the first thing that anybody should know is it's actually not a great travel destination for everybody. That being said, for anglers in particular, it's, uh, it's pretty extraordinary in that it's one of the few places anywhere in the world and anywhere in the Caribbean that's, that's very well managed as far as a fishery goes. So uh, the fishing can be, can be pretty productive and pretty good um, when, you, when you head down. Um, in any of the fisheries that we represent in Cuba, the fishing is in a marine protected area. And the guides that are out there, the skiffs that are out there, essentially, they wear two hats in that oftentimes they also are monitoring the fishery, making sure that they are calling in any illegal netting or illegal fishing in the particular area, and um, really almost serve as rangers in addition to guides when they're down there. Um, You've only got a certain number of skiffs in any destination on any on any particular week, so fishing's per, fishing's pretty good. The fish don't see a lot of a lot of boats on a daily basis or even a weekly basis for that matter. And I don't think you can you can say that for any other country or any other fishing destination in the Caribbean. Is there a background? Um, I'm actually surprised to hear that Cuba manages the fishery so well. Is do you know how that came to be? You know, the the. The Castro family, Fidel Castro was actually um, an avid angler and, um, you know, like a lot of, lot of places around the world where there's dictators who are also involved in, uh, in fishing endeavors or hunting endeavors, they, uh, they like to keep some, some prime areas to themselves. And for better or for worse, when people finally gain access to those particular areas and um, have a way into them, they're really well preserved and you end up in some pretty spectacular locations as a result. I mean, that's one great thing uh, about conservation is people want to protect things. The reasons are often for themselves, but in the end, they get protected. Um, and so what makes the fishing so great? Well, you know, don't get me wrong. It's still saltwater fishing. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not like Disneyland. We say that a lot. You're not, you're not signing up for a Disneyland trip. It, you know, tarpon are, their tarpon are plentiful, and the tarpon will readily eat, unlike some of the other places where you can find tarpon. But um, permit are still permit. Uh, bonefish, you know, the bonefish down there, there's, there's 
great numbers um, and decent size. And um, really the best thing about all the fisheries in Cuba is that you just run into a lot of diversity that hasn't seen a lot of pressure. Um, you know, the, the, the operators that we work with down there, they run trips year-round. They also have a lot of people that are coming there to go diving. Um, it's a very unique diving destination. Some of the most phenomenal diving in the entire world is off the southern coast of Cuba in Jardines de la Arena, or Gardens of the Queen. And um, it's, it also happens to be very diverse and healthy reef area where you end up in getting into a lot of, lot of good fish. And the tarpon love to migrate through there. Um, you know, it's, again, it's, it's, uh, it's no Disneyland, it's still saltwater fishing, um, but it can be really good. And um, the, the prime season in Cuba is really based upon the tarpon migration. You know, you'll see, you'll see uh, tarpon through there in really large numbers between April and all the way through late June. Mm. And you'll also see higher prices during that time. So we get a lot of folks who wonder why Cuba is so expensive. And um, the way that we have to run our trips down there, we choose select prime weeks during prime season so that we are hedging our bets for the best fishing out of the year, in which case you do get the higher rates. A lot of people come to us and say, you know, I've, I keep on seeing these, these deals with, uh, you know, whoever for like, you know, $3,000. Why should I go with you guys for six grand? And um, really, you pay what you get for. Um, there are places where you can do $3,000 trips to Cuba right now, but they're few and far between. Um, and you really, you know, you're going to have long drives. Your, your accommodations are going to be super mediocre. You're probably going to be in some all-inclusive Euro resort with bad pasta, pasta bars, <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, potentially really marginal food. The eggs are probably predictably pretty good, but... Uh, <laughs> That's not rocket science, as we well know. So, you know, it really is when it comes down to quality fishing in some of these areas in Cuba, it's, it's really you pay, pay for what you get for, and you really, you really want to make sure that you're there during peak season. Um, the, the stories I've heard during the peak of the migration are these schools of just hundreds of tarpon moving through these different areas, wow. and, and um, it sounds pretty fantastic. Now, again... Can't guarantee that on every trip, but <laughs> sure, you do hedge your bets by trying to go during the prime season. Maybe this is a mischaracterization, uh, but it seems to me like, um, and maybe this is not a mischaracterization, but said too often. But it's almost like the keys as the keys used to be. Or I've heard that as well, for sure. And I personally haven't fished the keys, but um, you know, in Cuba, we're not counting uh, the fish that we see or the tarpon that we see by leans or looks or um, anything along those lines. I mean, if you are not the greatest caster and you get a tarpon fly within a foot or two of a tarpon, if that tarpon is eating, it's going to turn on your fly and chow nice. it. It's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, people do comment frequently um, on how amazing that particular fishery is in that regard. So what species do they have down there? So Cuba's notorious for, uh, for having a little bit of everything, actually. I mean, people head down there uh, certainly to try to get into the tarpon migration and the larger fish and bigger numbers, um, which most of our, our prime weeks and departures are. Um, and, uh, in a, but in addition to tarpon, you can find permit, um, 
there's healthy populations of bonefish, certainly uh, not only in numbers of fish, but you can find some pretty healthy, healthy samples <laughs> down there. Um, barracuda, jacks, snapper, snook. Um, you can get into some really fun snook in the mangrove. And there's also a lot of residential uh, populations of baby tarpon. Um, when I have a conversation with somebody over the phone about where they should go with Cuba, go to Cuba, um, I like to ask them what their priorities are when it comes to fishing and if they want to live on, be on a liveaboard boat for the week or, or a land-based operation, because that will really help me determine and narrow down where the best recommendations are. Um, the northern coast of Cuba has a whole little tiny set of keys and islands that run off, off of uh, the entire northern stretch of the island. And um, that particular area got hit really hard last year by, by Hurricane Irma. Um, and actually, the eye of the storm went right over Io mm. Cruz and really tore things up, killed a lot of flamingos, unfortunately, took out the, uh, the Cayococo Airport, wow. which, uh, which was pretty exciting. Um, but the communist government knew that it was a hot, hot priority to get that uh, airport up and running again and make sure that all of the infrastructure off the northern coast, where they get most of their international beach-going tourists, so you get all the people that are coming in from Canada and from Europe to sit on the beach for the week over Christmas, um, they, the communist government really said, we don't want to lose any money from that. We want to make sure infrastructure is back in place to be able to capitalize. So they prioritized rebuilding that airport and making sure that the causeways and the roads in that area are, uh, are rebuilt and solid and sound, and they are. Um, so the fisheries off the northern coast, we primarily send folks up there for um, who are really focused on permit. Um, there's also tremendous bone fishing, and you certainly can see some of the migratory fish through there, the tarpon. Um, grand majority of people who are really after tarpon, I send to destinations off the southern coast. Jardinas de la Arena, Gardens of the Queen, um, Juventud. Um, we also send people to Cayo Largo specifically for permit, and you don't see as many uh, tarpon in the fishery at, at Cayo Largo. Mm -hmm. So it really, you know, it really just depends. And we sort of, when I have conversations about where somebody should go, what's the best fit, um, we try to narrow it down based on, based on those differences. One of the things you just mentioned was that um, there's a liveaboard and ground-based operations. Yeah, so we primarily work with one major company that's been doing trips down to Cuba since the, I don't know, first, I think since the 80s, hmm. early 90s. We've been running trips to Cuba since the early 90s. Um, but they are really the main, main player in the game. They're doing it best. Um, and they have a, a number of liveaboard yacht arrangements, and they're, they're perpetually upgrading and updating. They're going to be adding some new boats in the next, upcoming years. Um, and they do all the guide training. They bring all the skiffs down there. Um, the the land-based accommodations are all these all-inclusive resorts. And there's basically two right now um, associated with uh, this particular company that we work with. There's one off the northern coast, and there's one off the southern coast. And they're, they're you know, crumbling a little bit around the edges. They're getting a little bit rough. Um, you know, again, Cuba doesn't, it's, it's, it's as if the time, the clock stopped 50 years ago, you know? It's, it's a throwback for sure. And it's important to recognize with these land-based operations that when you go to stay at these all-inclusive resorts to go fishing every day, there's no culture there. All the Cubans are actually shipped in for the week, 
sometimes a couple weeks at a time, to these resort areas. Everything is sort of chopped off from mainland. So it's not a cultural trip uh -huh. when you go fishing in Cayo Largo or a Cayo Romano or a Cayo Cruz. You're flying into Camagüey um, for Cayo Romano or Cayo Cruz, which is an East Coast city, beautiful city, and we can always figure out how to arrange extra nights in Camagüey if that's of interest to people. And then you'd land transfer to this all-inclusive resort, which is off on the Keys and not a place that you know, you're going to see daily life in Cuba. Um, we do have one unique uh, destination in the Bay of Pigs where it is where you do actually get a window into Cuba, Cuban life. Um, I, I have to back up a little bit because one of the important things to understand these different uh, destinations and these different options is uh, tied to US regulations. U.S. regulations are, you know, we've got, the U.S. has sanctions against Cuba. Um, and the Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC, uh, governs the fine print associated with how Americans are allowed to travel to Cuba. So in November of this past year, Trump, the Trump administration sort of rolled back a lot of the Obama efforts to open things up between Cuba and, and uh, the U.S. And Really, nothing has changed on the ground in Cuba. The Cubans love it. They want all Americans to come down. They're, they're more than willing to welcome you to Cuba and engage with you. And of course, you know, more than happy to, to take some greenbacks from you um, at the same time. Um, but the regulations governing travel to Cuba mean that you can go under one of 12 qualifying trips, one of 12 categories. And the grand majority of our trips are actually qualified as educational or person-to-person -person trips. And so you end up seeing um, a lot of detail in those itineraries. Um, most companies, most travel companies that are booking trips to Cuba don't bother with this detail, but this is actually what makes your trip to Cuba legally. Hmm. All trips now need to be hosted by a Yellow Dog staff or somebody related to or affiliated to Yellow Dog, and their group departures. Um, there's one destination, as I mentioned, that's a land-based destination out of the Bay of Pigs, and for that particular destination, we can actually build itineraries associated with the OFAC category of support for the Cuban people. That means that every night, instead of dining at, uh, you know, a state-run restaurant, you're going to dine at somebody's, uh, uh, at their home, in a home restaurant called the Paladar. And these are really extraordinary experiences where you actually go and you go to somebody's house, you meet the cook, mm. um, you know, he, he entertains you, he feeds you, and the food's amazing. I mean, it's extraordinary. Um, and uh, staying at some of these Airbnbs, that's also a way where you can, you know, get into this other category of legal trip to Cuba. Um, the OFAC regulations, you know, that are govern governing this, these trips as well, basically the Requirements for Americans are you need to have records for five years, which we keep for you, so it's no problem. Um, and you have to travel under one of these legal itineraries and do it with a travel service provider, which, which Yellow Dog is, um, specifically for Cuba. Um, you don't need to buy a license anymore. You do need to buy a visa before you get on that final flight to go into Cuba. but. All you have to do is hop on a hop on Delta or hop on um, JetBlue and, and book your ticket, and then it's your responsibility as an American traveling to Cuba and a sanctioned country to make sure that you're following the rules. 
I, that's, that's why we do the trips that we do, the types of trips that we do in these group departures, and that's how you see Cuba um, advertised at Yellow Dog, is we know how to do it right, we know how to do it legally, and um, we handle all the logistics and the back-end stuff. We can handle flights, we can get you travel insurance for the trip, we can get you global rescue. Um, it's really what, what sets us apart. In addition, I might add, we can book your hotels in Havana or in other cities. I um, have contacts in the ground that I've developed over the last couple of years who can help with day-to-day -day itineraries for additional, additional places that you might want to visit in Cuba. So you'll be working with, directly with Cubans on that. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's a heck of a lot of other travel companies working towards getting people to Cuba that know Cuba quite as well as, as we do as collectively as a company. I mean, we've sent nearly, I'd say we've sent nearly half our staff to Cuba um, on various different trips and as a host in the last three or four years. We've, we've put, you know, we've put easily, let's see, I have to think, six or seven <coughs> Yellow Dog staff on an annual basis end up in Cuba. Huh. When, I, when I think about Cuba, I think that is a saltwater destination that has everything that I want, but it sounds hard. And what you just, just described was th that you can really make things a lot easier for anglers. Absolutely. I mean, it's not easy. <coughs> Cuba is not a do-it-yourself destination from a fishing standpoint. And I actually get that question a lot. People are like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm heading down. I'm doing this study thing, and I'll just bring my rod, and I'll go fishing. You can't do that. That's actually illegal. Um, the Cuban, Cuban government will tell you as an American that you can't do that. You can only fish in marine protected areas. Cuba is really unique in that it's the only country, and perhaps in the entire world at this point, that has uh, that has decided to be fly only um, wow. in these marine protected areas. I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's um, that was a new thing that they rolled out last year. Um, so within the marine parks, it's fly only, and um, you're not, you know, you'll see anglers in in Havana fishing off the Malecon. Now, I wouldn't recommend bringing a fly rod out there. Yeah. I don't think you're going to get into much, but. Um, Basically, for Americans traveling down there, the only place that you can legally fish is within these within these protected marine protected areas. So it's highly regulated. Not surprising. The communist government wants to know where everybody is at all the time at all times, but they they are very. It's a very safe place to travel. It's uh, people. The people are lovely. They have open arms, and they're more than happy to have uh, their their brothers and sisters from the north, as they like to refer to us, come down and spend time in Cuba and get to know it. One thing that you just mentioned is that if people are interested in seeing more of Cuba, there are options with that, too. Absolutely. So, you know, if, you've, if you have been to Cuba before, you've probably been through Havana, you've checked it out, you're good. And you can do it on its own separate trip. I mean, Havana is fantastic. It's one of the best, it's one of the oldest cities in the Americas. Um, if you think about it, just about any ship coming from the New World or going to the New World and come, you know, one way or the other from that, that side of the ocean to this side, they stopped in Havana as mm. part of their, their tour. Um, you know, it's got amazing architecture, definitely crumbling. Old Havana is fantastic. You can walk around the streets and 
for hours just checking stuff out and exploring. You know, there's great uh, graffiti on the walls, which is very artistic. It's not graffiti that we think of uh, as graffiti here. It's, it's, it's very, lots of public art all over the place. These great old plazas and old churches and um, extraordinary architecture. You know, Cuba was in, in fantastically wealthy in the 1920s when we had prohibition up here. Well, gambling and drinking was going on full on down there. And, um, you know, it still shows. There's tons and tons of history associated with, um, with those periods of times. I mean, you know, the 1920s gangsters, the Hotel Nacional is notorious for one of the biggest gangster meetings of all time that happened in the upper floors of, uh, of the Nacional. Um, regardless, not every single one of our fishing trips includes time in Havana. Some fly in through Havana and some fly in through the eastern city of Camagüey, which is uh, the city of churches and a fantastic cultural experience as well. Um, but we can definitely help with, you know, booking hotels. We can make recommendations on how and where to eat and, you know, how to go about making sure that you're set up with the right kind of a tour. Um, I can help you with all of that. You know, I've been down there. Um, at least once a year for the last three years. Uh, Jim, one of the owners of Yellow Dog, has been down there since the early 90s, um, pretty much on an annual basis. Um, and so we really, you know, we've, we've been there for the long run. We can give you the ins and outs of where to go and what to check out and uh, um, hopefully, you know, hopefully make the experience in ha Havana and any, you know, if you decide you're gonna fly through Camagüey hopefully make it a, a, a good one and a cultural add-on to, to your fishing experience. Because Cuba is not, um, because of, there's travel restrictions, is it a, the type of trip you need to plan a little bit more in advance for? You know, the, the reason to, to plan a trip ahead for Cuba is to make sure that you get there during the right time of year, that you can get in on those prime dates. I mean, I'm already booking full weeks out in, in 2019 for anglers. Um, but other than that, when you work with somebody like Yellow Dog, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm on the news every single day searching for the latest detail associated with Cuba to see if there's any regulation changes that may affect our travelers or our trips. Um, it's, it's, you, you want to book early, but regulations shouldn't be a stop, a, a, something that takes you a long time to, to prep for, for sure. Um, you don't want to do this trip last minute. You want to make sure that you have, have some time to definitely get together your gear, make sure you have everything you need. It's certainly not a, it's not a place that you can go and expect to find anything on the ground. <laughs> you need to bring everything with you. Cuba doesn't have it. <laughs> when it comes to fly fishing gear, um, what recommendations do you have for anglers heading down there? So I always tell people in the ideal world, you know, when I travel down there, I always am ready with an eight weight for bones, a nine weight for permit. I'll bring a 10, which I'll typically, depending upon whether I'm gonna be fishing for baby tarpon or larger tarpon, I'll typically set it up for either tarpon or possibly for barracuda. Um, I'm an opportunistic fisherman, <laughs> so or fisherwoman. So I'm, I'm happy to, you know, throw to whatever's out there. So ideally I have four rods and I also bring an 11 or a 12 depending upon if you're there during prime migra migration season for the big tarpon and you expect to see some of those bigger fish. But you need to bring all your gear with you. 
You can't expect to find anything on the ground. There's no fly shops in Cuba. Um, the guides have very little. The guides, in fact, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about um, Cuba is that the guides are not necessarily employed. They're entirely working for tips. So tipping and any tips that you give anybody really go a long way. What are some of the things that uh, people can and cannot bring to Cuba? So that's a good question. I get that question a lot. Um, cell phones are no problem. And in fact, um, check with your provider before you go. AT&T and Verizon actually, you know, if you pay them enough, you can get coverage most anywhere. Typically not when you're out on the liveaboard boats, but while you're in country or traveling in country, you can, you can get some service. Wi-Fi is slow as all get out. So what I suggest for anybody who's going down there is just be prepared to enjoy your time while you're there. <laughs> just go ahead and tell everybody that you're going to check out. And that way, if you choose to try to connect to the Wi-Fi, then you can and you know, you can check in that way. Um, with regards to additional technology, there's a few major things that you really want to make sure not to have in your bag, and that is if you have a spot device or that kind of a GPS device, those are absolutely not allowed. Um, sat phones are not allowed, and drones are definitely not allowed. Um, they won't, it's not like you, if, you, if you forgot or neglected, if you brought it into the country, um, you would lose it, they just take it away, but they would take it away and then they'll try to track you down when you're departing and it's just an extremely time consuming process um, to have your stuff checked into essentially government quarantine for the week while you, while you continue on your way. It's a major hassle so we just suggest to our anglers not to bring that stuff. It's just easier, just check out for the week. Bring your cell phone. iPhones are fine, everybody's taking pictures anyway. <laughs> Why would you say Cuba is a bucket list trip? You know, it's extraordinary from a cultural perspective. The fishing can be fantastic, to be sure. Limited pressure, not that far. Um, it's it's just a really special experience. Um, there's not a single there, there's not a single place like it in the world. Um, you know, there are very few places remaining where you can completely check out for a week, and Cuba is certainly one of them. And uh, I think it, it allows you the space and time to be able to engage uh, fully with people directly, which in this digital age can be something that's lost upon people. But you know, the fishing, the fishing is fantastic. They've got great mojitos, they've got fantastic cigars if that's your thing, and, and Cristal beer is not that bad either. <laughs> as long as you don't run out, which is no guarantee by the way. They do periodically run out of beer, it's so good. <laughs> It's all right, there's always rum. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, thank you so much for the conversation. I certainly learned a lot more about Cuba. And to check out more about um, fly fishing in Cuba from Yellow Dog, head over to yellowdogflyfishing.com. Yeah, thank you very much for, for chatting today. I thank appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.